Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Today is a Monday morning edition, and I'm joined by Father Jeff Lewis. Father Lewis, just the two of us again. All right. Well, well, actually, we're right. two or three are gathered. Isn't that Sunday's gospel? That's it. Two or three are gathered, so Jesus is with us. That's right. Can't go wrong. <laughs> if, if Jesus is with us, are we guaranteed to have good discernment? Um, we are more likely to have good discernment. Let's <laughs> we'll say that. <laughs> That's a very discerning answer. <laughs> By the way, Father Lewis is going to be under the microscope today. As school is starting, we're going to get ready, Father. We're going to ask you some questions. Are you ready? We. It's the royal papal we. <laughs> All right, back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. And we're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Lewis. Our scripture reading comes from the first reading we just heard on Sunday this past weekend from the prophet Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord, you, son of man, have I have appointed watchmen for the house of Israel. When you hear me say anything, you shall warn them for me. If I tell the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade the wicked from his way, the wicked shall die for his guilt, but I will hold you responsible for his death. But if you warn the wicked, trying to turn him from his way, and he refuses to turn from his way, he shall die for his guilt, but you shall save yourself." Lord Jesus Christ, your word today speaks to us that uh, we have a dire need to speak in charity and in truth uh, to those around us, that we may help others as well as ourselves to grow in faith and to draw closer to you. We ask your blessings upon our our, uh, uh, broadcast today, that your word may help us to grow in this faith that you have given us. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father Lewis. I appreciate that. So, uh, has school started yet at St. Mary? We've uh, yeah, we've been open for a week now. Okay, yeah. there it is. How's it feeling? Have you made your way over? Have you walked the halls? Do people cower in fear? <laughs> Stand at attention? Acknowledge uh, you? <laughs> uh, not yet. I try to give them the first week to settle in, and and then the reign of terror begins <laughs> week two. So then this week, break, the hammer comes down. The <laughs> holy right. hammer of God. That's right. Nice, <laughs> nice. I love it. Well, Father, we do have. I, I've got a whole bunch of questions for you. So right. in the spirit of this is school, this is uh, this is the time of education, mm-hmm. and I, I'm actually gonna uh, I'm gonna draw draw attention to the fact that this is a bit of time travel. Okay. Okay. Now, why am I saying that this is time travel? Because I could say to you, "Hey, it's Monday, September 11th. How was the expo yesterday? How did it go?" Oh. <laughs> and you're gonna say um, it went swimmingly. <laughs> There was all kinds of great, beautiful things going on. Well, because we were pre-recording before it's happened, I'm presuming it will go swimmingly and that there'll be great abundance of faith. But um, as of the recording, we have, I think, close to 2,500 people registered to attend. Really? Yeah. I'm one of them. Yeah. I grabbed my ticket. Yeah. (laughs) I grabbed my ticket. I'm like, yeehaw, let's go. We got to get some tickets here. So how many tickets did I need to grab? From like for my actually I here we are this is the time travel I'll talk to you about this after because this is not relevant to the folks listening because they're like why are we talking about tickets when it already happened yesterday <laughs> yeah. see this is what I'm talking about so tomorrow is the feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Mother it's Mary's birthday mm-hmm. so that's Friday that's coming up for us tomorrow a future event mm-hmm. and then I've been talking all week about the expo mm-hmm. the procession of the Blessed Sacrament. On the streets of Spokane, let's go, yeah. Jesus, out mm-hmm. on the streets. And then the expo happened. Yes, uh, is happening for us in three days. And then, obviously, again, this is Monday. This idea of time travel, 
I, I call it time travel, but it's actually God outside of time ex- exercising lordship over time. That's a bit of a mystery. Yeah. It's a mysterious thing. And I think that the, the fact that we had the feast of the birthday of Mary, that it's not the birth, it's really the conception, the Immaculate Conception of Mary that we, you know, nine months before, right? Mm-hmm. That's what, December 8th. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bit of time travel connected to that. Yeah. Because uh, when we reflect on the Immaculate Conception, which was how she was like revealed herself, right, to mm-hmm. um, Sister, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, St. Bernadette. St. Bernadette Subiru. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm the Immaculate Conception, the, immac- the, uh, mirac- the Miraculous Medal. The... Um, the concept is really a redeemed conception, mm-hmm. right? That she is immaculate because she shared in a future act, the the fruits of the fruit future act of her son back when she was conceived. Yeah. Th- there's this real mystery here mm-hmm. that there's a bit of time travel involved in the Lord who exercises dominion over history, has the ability to look at a few, what is for us on the timeline of history, a future event, and apply the fruits backwards to a previous event. Talk about that. I mean, that's a that that's a kind of a mind bender, yeah. right? There's there's kind of a mystery there. Yeah. And I'm gonna kind of throw it at you because it's <laughs> gonna be like, does this have anything to do with how we live our lives today? Right. Which this this is kind of a it's not just a theological oddity. Or, oh, it's a mystery and we humbly bow before it because we're feeble and fallen in our minds. No, there's some fruit, there's some value here that we ought to also pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is, for me, it's a mind-bending uh, mystery, you know, confounding uh, God being outside of time. This is a, actually a somewhat frequently asked question uh, among my students at the school is, um, you know, who created God? You know, if God created everything, who created God? That's usually the form the question takes. And I try to explain, well, the fact that something is created connotes a timeline because there's a moment when something that didn't exist now exists. But with God, we do, we, there, is no, there is no before and after. And before and after connotes this timeline, but God is outside of time. God created time. You know, I, my read of uh, day four of creation, Genesis chapter one, God created the sun and the moon and the stars to mark the days and the months and the years. God created time on, on day four. So what can you say about days one, two, and three? Were they literally 24-hour days or what were they? So God created time. And then that's where the student's eyes, they start to glaze over because we can't, we're trapped inside of time. It's hard. It's not just hard. It's probably impossible for us to really conceive what that means to say that something's outside of time. Um, it's a kind of a numbers racket. It's like I can say that one to infinity, there's an infinite set of numbers, but between one and two, there's also an infinite set of numbers. And that just blows people's minds to try to conceive that. Similarly, trying to think of God outside of time just blows the mind. Yeah. I, I like what you just said there. It's when that, that concept of like the framework of our consciousness, like how we see things is fundamentally marked by space and time. Mm-hmm. And so when we bump up against God, who's not in the world the way that we are in the world, he's in the world different, mm-hmm. differently because of his creative power, that 
we want to have him be kind of constrained by our framework Mm -hmm. of space and time. So we say, what does it mean that God is infinite? You know, there's kind of a a distance in space that goes on and on, and it just blows our mind, right? Mm -hmm. And then the same with concept of time. I I actually like the... Actually, I don't say like. I think it's actually important to understand the concept of time in relationship to heaven and hell. Mm Mm-hmm. So you might remember this. We've talked about this before in Sound Insight. Do you remember how Aquinas describes heaven versus hell in association with the concept of time? I know that's a really like obscure question. Yeah, I don't recall. Okay, yeah. so hell is associated with a duration leading nowhere. Mm. So it's associated with the concept of a timeline. So when we most of us think of the concept of time, we think of past, present, and future, but our mind is principally dominated by two of those three. Mm-hmm. What are the two? Past and future. Past and future. Yeah. Because the presence ha- the present moment has what kind of length? It has no length. Yeah. And so he says that if you want to reflect on the nature of hell, the nature of hell is the ongoing existence on a timeline that's going nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's the concept is you're trapped. Isn't that terrifying? Horrifying. Yeah. Horrifying, terrifying. It's just this enduring existence with no goal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what does he say that eternity is like? Heaven. Heaven as like the fullness of life is like what? Not not the, the future. Past or the, or the past, future. But the present. But the present. Yeah. And so this is the kind of the paradox or the mystery of, of the concept of where does heaven touch our lives? Well, it's in that, let's call it a place, in that space, in that place where we actually live our whole life, which is where? In the present. In the present, which yeah. has no duration. And it's like, okay, now, okay, now I'm really trapped. I'm mm-hmm. really stuck. I'm really, no, I'm not trapped. I'm stuck. I'm stuck because I experience all that is alive, all that is life. In the present moment, but the present moment is never able to be captured. It's always this movement from, right? Mm. The distensio, that was Aquinas. I mean, uh, Augustine, remember this? Mm-hmm. Book 10 of the, of oh, the, the confessions, confessions. Yeah. the one that everyone skips over. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't want to talk about him st- stealing the peer- pears. You don't want to talk about the nature of time. <laughs> and so, but he, he says there's this distension, this, this kind of this thrownness from past to future. And and what Aquinas says is, no, 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 eternity is experiencing the event of the present as a fullness that overflows. And that only happens in the present moment. Yeah. And so I, I've actually used that when I talk to my kids about uh, heaven. I said, look, don't think of like, what, what are we going to do in heaven? It's so long. I said, no, no, now you're thinking of heaven like hell. Mm-hmm. I said, I want you to think about the experience of a moment in time, a, an event that was so rich, it was so beautiful, it was so full that you literally lost track of time. You lost track of time. Yeah. And when you lose track of time, it's just that it was so full, it was just like, oh my gosh, everything just seems so perfect, so complete, so alive, so you've touched heaven. Mm-hmm. So what's heaven? It's that. Yeah. It's this, so there's that uh, Bonaventure talks about 
heaven and the vision of God as this fountain fullness. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. The fountain fullness is just this fountain that just continues to overflow. Well, guess what you never get to see is the source. Yeah. And the fountain is always doing the same thing, but what is it? It's always new. Yeah. It's always new. It's the same fountain doing the same thing. It's overflowing, but it's always new. At any moment, it's a new, fresh encounter with the reality of this overflowing of life-giving water of God of life. I don't know. What do you think about all that? <laughs> that is a... That... That's those are image images that can, I I think for me anyway help me to to grasp the, the beauty of of what's going on when we try to contemplate heaven. I've explained um, I've tried to explain people like in spiritual direction. You you use the idea of um, uh, you know the eternal present. Um, that that's where that's where reality is in its fullness. I've used the image of like imagine imagine a, a perfectly crafted sphere rolling across a perfectly smooth and flat surface. There's like only one point that that sphere touches the surface, but it's always touching the surface, and that's the present moment, and that's where that's where we encounter God. And the rest of it, before the sphere gets there or after the sphere is left, the past and the you know in the future, um, those are there too, but not yet because the sphere hasn't touched that point yet. So that's where we need to stay focused. And I put a phrase to it. I said it's it's striving to be uh, fully present to the present, being present to the present moment. And um and and so hey, you were you doing all this Aquinas. There, you, yeah. Did you have any idea? You were just like you were you were maxing out on Aquinas there. I love it. Yeah. So um, you know, it helps me anyway. I figure if it's something that helps me to just uh, be reminded of the need to be present to the present moment, then I figure well, that's something we're sharing with others, and I like to think it helps. Yeah, I, it's um, it's one of those things I think that the devil uses to make people afraid and not trust. Yeah is the the switch the uh deception of painting heaven through the concepts associated with hell mm-hmm. duration leading nowhere yeah and i know that that's something that i have to remind my kids about because they'll sometimes fall into the framework that says heaven is hell they're not saying it like that, right? What they're saying is heaven is, isn't heaven a kind of duration leading nowhere? Like that, that makes me feel like I'm trapped. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about hell. Focus on life, life lived, focus on the present moment mm-hmm. and the, the idea of a present moment that is so full that it overflows the moment and you just feel caught up and you've lost track of time. That's heaven. Yeah. You have to stay like rooted in that, or you're going to get confused and you're going to be dislodged from a trust in the father. You know, don't be, af- don't be afraid, little flock. Do not fear. Mm-hmm. It's pleased the father to give you the kingdom. There's yeah. something very beautiful about the kingdom that, that, you know, that's what we ought to be focused on. All so, right. all right. Um, so let's, how did we end up there? Do you know how we ended up there? Was the time travel of yeah the time travel of we're recording before the birth of Mary, but people are hearing this after the Eucharistic Expo and <laughs> and here we are and it's like okay there's yeah. this distance and and that's sort of like oh that's kind of cutesy but there's actually something very meaningful yeah. and I want to say it's meaningful as it relates to the call that we have as a church to pray for those who have gone before us yeah you know you, you think about it like that. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, can we today, 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 have an impact on people's lives who lived 
last week, last month, last year, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. I want to ask you about that. I want to ask about interceding for people in situations that were past events. Is that a thing? Father Luce is going to tell us in a minute. All right. I asked Father Lewis, is he ready to answer this question? He said, I'll have to be. You've been prepared for this your whole life, Father, right? <laughs> you were made for this moment. So I'm asking Father, I said, like, is it a valuable thing for us today? Like, you're listening to this program, brothers and sisters, and you have situations and, and, and events and, and people that are part of your lives that have already lived and maybe died and, and events that are past. Is it even worth thinking about that in terms of saying, I can intercede today for a fruitful impact on past events. Mm-hmm. I think absolutely. And the key word you use there, you know, that where I was going, where I was going in my mind was intercede. If we have an appreciation that that our prayers, our relationship with God overall, is um, is so profound and intimate that we can join God for that moment, but but have an effect in the past and the future, then we'll want to, not only can we realize that we can intercede for uh, over the past and even for the, over the future to some extent, but that we would want to. So, you know, this is a huge, our lives of faith lived out in practical prayer and spirituality. This is a tremendous distinction, I think, that Catholics enjoy over our non-Catholic Christian brethren. And this is why we feel perfectly comfortable praying for the repose of the souls of those who've gone before us. And our non-Catholic Christian brethren are like, what does that even mean? Why are you praying for the dead? You know, they don't, they don't conceive that there's a purgatory or things like this. But I think there's also some interplay on, on the future. There's a family that I'm friends with, and their oldest son, since he was like five when I first met this family, has been praying for his future wife. And um, if, you know, I guess he knew from five that he's not called a priesthood, but to married life. And who knows, but that his future wife wasn't even conceived yet, but he's praying for her anyway, already trying to have, you know, in, you know entice God through intercession to have an effect on that person's life. And then when they meet, they've been praying for each other conceivably this entire time. And now they're a match made in heaven, so to speak. So if we don't have a, a sense of God's eternity, but also God's eternal present moment in our lives, and therefore don't have an appreciation that we can intercede and have, you know, participate in that eternity, then I guess we'd be totally disinclined to want to try to uh, have an effect on the past or the future and just kind of, you know, wash our hands of it and go about our day. And um, that feels uh, that feels pretty hopeless on the one hand because, you know, there's no hope, why even try? But also just kind of kind of empty. We we lose connection with the communion of saints, those who've gone before us, and those who will follow after. So, all right. So, I want to go in two directions here. Right. So, the first was I love what you gave that a great example of praying for your future spouse. So, I did that with Carrie. I prayed for Carrie for years before I ever met her, and and I would try to refine it. I'd say, Lord, you've planted my wife in my heart. And so I'm already attempting to love her well and pray for her now. So prepare her for me. Prepare me for her mm-hmm. because I want to be able to recognize that she's the one you put in my heart, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I really did have that sense when I met her. It was pr- really pretty like quick and surprising mm-hmm. that that happened. Someone improved my thinking on this, though, and it was as a, um, as a parent, like, oh, no, 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 no. You have to be so specific. You pray for the protection of the purity, the innocence, the modesty, the protection from uh, pornography, from other evil vices, and, and protect from, uh, from trauma and, and abuse and damage on your future, on your kids' future spouses. I'm like, whoa, man. Wow. 
that's like, man, you just like upped the game. Uh-huh. Like you just got really specific. And it's like, yeah, I mean, how, how many parents are praying desperately on their knees regularly for the spiritual good of their kids' spouses, yeah. right? Their son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. It's like, why aren't you on that now? Why aren't you like on that train, like right now, praying for protection from mercy, like mercy, not just to rescue from, but how about to preserve from? Right. How about that? Yeah. Like the Immaculate Conception. (laughs) Yes. Mary was preserved before Jesus even suffered and died on the cross from that trauma of original sin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So redemption as um, preservation rather than rescue. Yeah. And all things being equal, wouldn't you rather have the grace of preservation than rescue? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of wounds that get carried when you're trying to rescue, mm-hmm. right? That you have to be overcome and dealt with. So I wish I could say that I was fervent in these <laughs> prayers for my kiddos in this matter. Um, it, it sort of occasionally floats into my awareness. So thank you for bringing it back into my awareness, Father. <laughs> you're welcome. Hopefully that'll be a benefit. All right. A last last one here, because I got a bunch of other questions. And as you know, we'll get through all of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> got a great not. track record. I know. It's <laughs> terrible, Father. Okay, Father Jeff Lewis is with me today on the program. So, Father Lewis, um, one of the things that I think of is there is... The church has this, like, wonderful discernment around a moment that has, like, a level of gravity to it that... Um, that gets elevated in the mind of the church and the practices of the church, where basically, in normal circumstances, these rules apply. But when we're talking about this one particular moment, all rules get erased, and the church is going to come rushing in and say, we're doing everything possible to bring salvation to bear on this moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? The moment of death? The moment of death. Yeah. Right? Isn't that kind of cool? Mm-hmm. When you think about, like if I just said to you, can you think of a couple of ways in which the church has elevated into like a really special status where like rules are off and in comes God, the rescue team and the angels and saints are going to come plowing in with God's grace mm-hmm. around the moment of death. Can you give me a couple of examples of how that happens? Um, well, one that immediately comes to mind, I got two ideas. One that came to mind is um, general absolution. If the plane is going down and there's a priest on board, you know, you don't need to confess your sins. You don't need to even examine your conscience. You know, the priest stands up, general absolution for everyone on board, and, and boom, you know, the plane hits, but, but everyone, can, you know, in, in theory, I think it's more than theory, but dies in a state of grace, provided that they receive the grace of that absolution. So, you know, but there is in the past in the ch- church and some certain presbyterates, I guess there's been a tremendous abuse of that. So we'll just have general absolution for everyone who comes to this penance service, even though right. they'll the say, "Oh, there's too many down. people, not enough priests, so yeah, we'll have to so do general, general absolution." absolution. So that's yeah, that's that was very that clever. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a great one. Yeah, and the one that I obviously I've never <laughs> experienced that firsthand. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here on this program today. But the one that's more commonly I I inter- interface with are when people are like dying at home. In hospice care or even in a hospital, um, you know, there's still just kind of the fast track of, you know, the first prayer that we can begin with is by the authority given, granted unto me by Holy Church, you know, I absolve you of all your sins. It's kind of like a, kind of like a, just a quick absolution and it's commending to, to the Lord, um, you know, to the Lord's mercy, this person, then you can, you know, there's a whole right to the anointing of the sick, but in the case of emergencies, most of that rights ex- is, is, uh, glossed over and just get right to the point of anointing the person with oil 
And um, so all like the sacraments are fast tracked, you know, rather than having, you know, a full confession, full anointing, and then the full, um, you know, communion service, you know, you can get all three done in, you know, five minutes or less because the circumstances warrant it. Now, is that the, they call it the apostolic privilege? Apostolic pardon. Apostolic pardon. Is that that what you're referring to? Yeah. Okay. So what is that apostolic pardon? Just so that folks hear it out loud. Uh, well, I don't have the prayer memorized. I don't have it on my person. But you know, the the quick and quick and uh, answer to that is, uh, it's uh, invoking the authority granted to me as priest by the Lord Jesus Christ by his 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 church that he established. You know, to to uh, pardon this person of all sins committed in this life and punishments, temporal punishments incurred because of those sins. Um, Does every priest have that? Uh, like I, as through ordination, or do I they need some so. kind of special permission? I think it's granted by the fact of being ordained. At least, gosh, I hope so. Now that you ask the question, I think it is because it's it is part of the right of the anointing in the case of emergencies. Like yeah. it's in it's in the book, you know, the I, liturgical book. I, I don't know enough about sort of the canon laws that relates to sacraments and all that, but I think it is. Yeah. I think it's just connected to your ordination and to. That moment, yeah, right. Yeah. The the moment can't be of death. Willy nilly with it. It's for that moment of death. Yeah. yeah, is that like when you watch movies, like army movies, where you have the priest like running out and he's got his like mini stole on uh-huh. and he's just like anointing everyone? Is that what he's doing? I I, I would presume that's that's what he's doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, you know, when you mentioned that, there's if anyone's seen the the show, the Band of Brothers. I think yeah. it was in. I think it was in the second or third episode of that. They're already in battle and might be the battle after D Day. And two of the main characters look out, and there's this, you know, crazy priest. That's what they call him. He's just out there, shell fire and gunshots everywhere, and he's, you know, extending his hand over bodies. And then you see him actually applying the, the uh, oil, the anointing on their foreheads. And it's only like a quick, like five second shot, and then they move on with the show. But it was exactly the shot I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, it's a striking image. Yeah. yeah. So it's and it's like, and what is that priest saying? Like my well, life is not as a God. What, what, yeah, well, what's he doing? What's he living? Well, he... the way he's portrayed in that scene is he has no fear. He's just out there doing his thing, and he might take a bullet to the back, uh, but he's doing his priestly duty. He probably has such a strong faith that if he does take a bullet in the back, he can be confident that he's going into the uh, into the bosom of the Lord because he died doing his priestly duty. It'd be right up there if a priest died of a heart attack in the middle of saying the mass or something like this, mm-hmm. and. Um, and what he's literally saying is, I bet by then, because he's so versed in it, he does have the apostolic pardon memorized, and then the prayers of the anointing, and he just says those two things and moves on to the next body. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's, for me, one of those sort of like, that moment meets the, this idea of time, yeah. again, because it's often the case that these people, like these soldiers, actually already look dead. Yeah, but that's not stopping him at all. He doesn't like check for a pulse and then make a decision. Right. He just does it. Mm-hmm. And is that sort of that like time travel prayer again? I think so. For for me, I've I've actually done that a, a couple of times, and um, where I don't know if the person that I've been called to anoint has already passed or not. Clearly, they're lifeless, and the doctor hasn't made the call in terms of time of death. So I'm not thinking like you know, sacramental time travel, I'm thinking of... Like, God uh, the Father's not like, darn it, the doctor called it. Oh, right, it doesn't yeah. count. Oh, no, I was yeah. ready to give it. Yeah, That's I'm going in like, you know, just in case. I mean, even if the doctor did call it, he could be wrong. You know, I figure 
if 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 the body's still alive, the person's alive, they receive the sacrament. If they're not, then all I did was smear a bit of blessed oil on the on the body's forehead. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm committing a sin. I'm not presuming to yeah to give life to this body. I'm just doing my job. I and I, I kind of uh, maybe I maybe this is too devotional of an idea, but I don't think like the Lord is that. If the words like like legalistic, yeah, finicky, finicky, <laughs> yeah, like ah, darn it! If you were only there thirty seconds earlier, and, and yeah. the, you know the elevator didn't get stuck, you know, mm-hmm. on the third floor before you got off, then you would have been there before the soul left the body. Oh, right. darn it! Mm-hmm. I I don't know. It just feels like to me that the Lord is gonna be you know taking what happened in that moment and saying I I can easily connect this back thirty seconds to the yeah. moment of death. I think um, you know. I bet if if we could speak with Aquinas just now, I bet he would wholeheartedly agree. He uses uh, the example of the guy who gets smashed by the ox cart. You know what happens if a, if a if someone in a state of sin is on his way to confession with a priest and gets crushed by an ox cart? Is God up there like snapping his fingers, like oh so close, but to hell with you? <laughs> um, I don't. You know, and Aquinas says no. He calls that. Well, actually, I think it was someone who's unbaptized going yeah, to receive exactly. baptism. And he yes. calls it the baptism of desire because he had every intention to do it. He was on his way to do it, and beyond events beyond his control prevented that. And so maybe to some extent, uh, calling upon Aquinas, we can call it like anointing of desire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it's not my fault that the elevator got 30 seconds late or that the light turned red instead of stayed green or whatever the case may be. Um, I could break all those laws, but then I'm putting myself at risk and doing that person no good. So I don't think that you know it's beyond God's. We we are commanded as priests in this church to to administer the sacraments according to the mind of 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 the Lord communicated to us through the church. That doesn't mean that the Lord is limited to what to that which we are limited. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's that great line in the Catechism. Yeah. that God has bound salvation to the sacraments, but He is not bound by what He has established. That's right. That's, That's right. a great line. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so I've got a. Another one. Okay, so here's a priest who has been laicized. Uh, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Okay, finish the story. Well, a priest has been laicized. Well, where I'm going with my mind is, suppose <laughs> he's the one on the plane going down. Is that what you're going to say? I was going to say he comes upon a car accident. Okay, okay. And there's someone there that's dying on the street. Mm-hmm. What do you do? So in that case, not only can he give that person final absolution, but he's, it's actually incumbent on him to do so. Wow. I believe it is. So that um, in, the, in, the, in the decree of laicization, I don't know if it, I've never seen it, and God, God preserve me from ever having to see it, because I'm not going to be laicized, hopefully, for anything. But in any event, um, it, I think it's certainly t- uh, communicated in canon law that even a laicized priest, um, in the absence of any other priest, um, you know, must engage in, and the character of his priesthood still delve on his soul and and effect a final absolution on that on that person who's dying. And so, if there was no priest on a aboard a plane going down, but there is a laicized priest, he he must. It's incumbent on him to stand up and grant general absolution to everyone on board. Wow. Yeah. See, and for me, that's like, oh, the the laws of the church when it bumps up against that moment. Clear, clear the decks, folks. Mm-hmm. Salvation is what is this is all about, yeah. right? So the primacy for the Lord's redemptive desire, the salvific desire for all people to be saved. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I've got this theory, and you've heard me say it before, that 
it's that Colossians 1, 23 and 24, where it says that the church has to make up what is suffering, lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Right. Sufferings of Christ are all about redemption. Mm -hmm. And there's a way in which we can be drawn into the redemptive work of Christ today through suffering and somehow apply that to the moment of death for people who seem to die impenitent, mm -hmm. right? So they're manifest sinners, right? It was it's it's Our Lady of Fatima, mm -hmm. right? Pray for pray. There are these souls falling into hell like snowflakes because there's no one willing to to pray, to pray for, for them. them and to offer expiation and do penance for them. Mm -hmm. If only that happened, then they could be rescued. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, the church has a rescue mission. Yep. We have a rescue mission that can be connected to that moment of death. Because the Lord can hold, hold literally every moment of death in his hands. And he, we can touch anybody's moment of death mm. today. Isn't that wild? Yeah. That's a wild thought. Yeah. So I think the church is going to have to suffer a lot more. Yeah. For the sake of the salvation of souls. That's my, that's my own theory. Mm. I don't know. All right. We're up against the break, Father. When we come back, we're going to go to question two. Are you saying finally, Father? Are you ready for uh, moving forward here? No, question two. This is like a new threshold. I know this is awesome. <laughs> okay, so question two. We are we are um, we are um, bookending two different saints, contemporary saints, and you can tell they're contemporary because the way that they were referred to during their lives is still some of how they're referred to after their death rather than just simply calling them saint so-and-so. Mm. So there were two contemporary saints that, you know, one died in 1969, 68, 69, the other one died in 1998. And one just had a feast day, and one's feast day is coming up in a couple of weeks. Okay, do you know who I'm talking about now? Have you figured it out? I haven't given you guidance the first one. <laughs> okay, so these are two saints that if I gave you their names while they were alive on earth, most people still refer to them by those names yeah. rather than by saint. Yeah. So now do you know who I mean? Well, September 5th is Mother Teresa. No, no, it's St. Teresa. St. Teresa, but oh, we Cal call her Mother Teresa. See, yeah. there, that's exactly it. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, so you've proven my point. Oh, the other one, I guess, would be Padre Pio. St. Pio. Pio. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. is it Padre Pio or is it St. Pio? Yeah. So we're in that middle stage uh -huh. of people still having that sense of devotional connection and personal connection to Padre Pio. Yeah. But is it St. Pio? Yeah. Right? Is it St. Pio of Pialtrocina, or is it St. Padre Pio, or is it <laughs> Padre Pio? And mm -hmm. then St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta? All right. Where do you land? Did God send for our time a prophetic message about how we are to act as a church? Do you see a greater sense of prominence and importance to the life and mission and ministry of St. Padre Pio? Or of St. Mother Teresa? Hmm. <laughs> I didn't say it was going to be an easy question. No, yeah. And, well, and you can't say yes. You I can't know, pull yeah. a Tom. Yes. You can't say yes. <laughs> you can. You can actually Well, can. My, my answer, I guess, you know, which saint, uh, which class of people are we talking for which saint? I think that for the lives of priests and bishops, the um, modern model, modeling of, of, of modern sanctity um, of Padre Pio uh, comes greater to bear because... Um, I just think of my own priesthood. Um, one thing that I find incredibly remarkable about him is is that he was, you know, kind of suppressed by his own order. He was told not to preach and appear in public and all this other stuff, and by his own Franciscan brethren, uh, because they thought he was a faker about the stigmata or whatever. And and what did he do? He humbly and uh, obediently submitted to the rightful authority of his church. 
uh, of his order of the church. And, um, and I, I see that as such a needful thing, um, in myself, in my own priesthood and, um, in the lives of, of priests close to me. It's one thing to be obedient on the surface. Um, I try to attach the, the, um, adjective joyful obedience, um, in small matters and in great. So if Bishop Daly were to call me up at the end of the week and say, I know I told you six years at St. Mary, but circumstances have changed. I need you to go to name your parish or whatever. In obedience, I would say yes. Hopefully, in joyful obedience, I would respond. And Padre Pio, for priests, I think is a great model for that because of that circumstance. But Mother Mother Teresa, um, I think that she is a, a different class of people, um, is a great model for sanctity for for well, not just for priests, but really for for all of us, particularly for the laity, because I think people will look at well, of course she can do all those things. Um, she's a religious sister, um, but she's showing us a very simple way of living out a little evangelization, the little a little way of love. And she took her name, saying Saint Teresa of Avila and Saint Teresa of Lisieux. So the little way is in her mind. So she just this person at a time is who I'm going to care for and show Jesus to and then this person, and this person. And if this is the age of the laity, which I've heard bishops say that several times, the, the, the bishops and the priests have, have given rise to scandal after scandal. Where is sanctity going to be demonstrated in this time of crisis? It's got to be the time of the laity. And how can each lay person, each person in the pew, do this? By, by seeing Christ in this person, in this, and going back to what we said earlier, this present moment, staying focused on the present moment, this person is who needs to see Christ, and I will be the face of Christ to him, then this person. And that's how Mother Teresa can be the model sanctity, uh, particularly for the laity. So you said something in there that made me sad. Uh-oh. And my heart dropped. It was that it's the age of the laity. Yeah. And it makes me so sad. I, I, I just kind of like, ugh. I'm still looking for priests and bishops to be the saints of our time. Yeah. Not that we're not supposed to, that laity are not supposed to, but... I don't know. I, th- I don't think we're... So, like, I think of the expo, mm-hmm. right? Who was carrying the monstrance? The bishop. The bishop. Yeah. And we are... Where are we? We're around we're following. Him, yeah. yeah, exactly. We are following. Mm-hmm. And so I am not afraid to follow. I, I'm not afraid to lead. I'm not afraid to get out there and say stuff and do stuff. But darn it all, I'm looking for <laughs> bishops and say, and bishops and priests to be... Like, take the hill. Mm-hmm. Take the hill. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll play my part. I'll do what I need to do. But it doesn't it feel, I don't know. I, don't, I know Archbishop Sheen said that. I know that, <laughs> I mean, Bishop Fulton Sheen said yeah. that, not Archbishop. Bishop Fulton Sheen talked about the age of the laity. And, and fair enough, yeah, the lay people certainly have been, um, since the Second Vatican Council, like, it, has given rise to the idea of the lay faithful, yeah. right? And, and and being empowered to be salt, light, and leaven in the world. But God bless us, we need bishops to be saints. Mm-hmm. So, Well, yeah, we need all of us to be saints every moment. It might have to be this time in church history. It's the laity lead the charge, which has happened in the past. I mean, look at England. England under Francis the Francis of Assisi, right? Come yeah, on, eventually, yeah, he only eventually yeah. became a deacon. He's right. like, I'm not worthy to be a priest. Right, right. So I apologize, you were saying something. Well, in the Tudor England under Henry VIII, he had one bishop that remained strong, and he was killed for it. And then you had the layman, the Chancellor of England, Thomas More, mm-hmm. and um, you know, kind of the age of the laity helped help keep the faith alive in Tudor England, 
And um, so, you know, it kind of comes in waves. And Bishop pointed this out, there's like two concurrent waves going on. Whenever it's like the clergy, the bishops and the priests and the religious who are uh, exuding heroic holiness, they're calling the laity to step it up. And then it kind of comes in waves. So then when the when the clergy fall, the laity have stepped it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, you know, it comes in waves. One of these days we'll see both of those rise together. That's probably at the parousia and then Christ coming again. And- Amen. <laughs> yeah, I... Gosh, I listen to these different voices. I, I'm I'm doing a bit of fasting from technology, mm. and so I have radically reduced. Like I, I listen to lots of like like fired up homilies and talks, and I, I've reduced it. Okay, but the point is that so many of these fired up talks talk about a time of calamity mm. preceding the era of peace. Yeah. And that we haven't yet begun to experience really, really, really the calamity that is coming. Right. I don't know. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I totally agree. Um, I read this. Uh, it's a fictionalized account of the end of the world before there was left behind. It's called "The Lord of the World" by Robert Hugh Benson, written like a century ago. And it's eerie. And I just read it in like the last, I think, year and a half. And it's eerie how much he's describing the state of the world. And this was a century ago. Seems to be what the world actually is like right now, hmm. and um, it's a it's a striking read. It's um, it, it it just seems to get worse and worse and worse until literally the last two lines of the book, and that's where I leave it because I don't want to spoil the ending. <laughs> but um, yeah, if people want to, isn't it kind of like the abolition of man, C.S. Lewis? Uh, maybe which was a real like downer. Hey. <laughs> you think of all the books that C.S. Lewis writes, and you know you always get some kind of redemption at the end. Yeah. Even his space trilogy ends on kind of a high note. Yeah. Um, but abolition of man, I'm like, dang man, you had a bad day when you wrote <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're right. His industrialized vision mm-hmm. of of the world is is horrific. Robert yeah. Hugh Benson's. And yeah. There's another one written at that time too. Was it not Lord of the World? Who was um, goodness, what was his name? Um, ooh, it's it, the name's escaping me. It, just a very popular writer, mm-hmm. like theologian and and kind of critic of, okay. of that same time, that oh. same era. Um, I think it was called Lord of the World. Gu- Guardini? Not Guardini. Um, yeah. No, not Romano Guardini. Uh, sorry. Maybe I'll look it up. Okay. But um, um, yeah. So, so, so you see that like sort of prophesied in, in that fictionalized way a, yeah. a, a century ago. Yeah. So if people um, want to get a sense of like, what is this calamity of which we speak? And they look at the state of the world now and they're well, how's the calamity not already upon us? I would challenge people to like read Lord of the World, and you'll see how much worse it can get. And yeah, maybe is getting you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three days of darkness, because mm. I don't believe in it. I, I don't right. think that it's an authentic Catholic thing. That there are only the, these little threads, and then it's basically the the internet all quoting each other, and there's uh-huh. no primary source stuff around this. What What are your thoughts on the three days of darkness? Yeah, I well, I haven't given it terribly much thought, but it seems like an aspect of kind of the this Protestant millennial millennialism that's um, you know, it's uh, not not quite in keeping with Catholic uh, understanding. It's kind of a Catholic version of kind of like rapture type theology. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Fundamentalistic approaches to the end of the world. Well, isn't that tied to you know some obscure prophet from like five hundred years ago or something like this too? So I think that it goes back to the confessor to a, a woman that was blessed named Anna Maria Taichi or Taichi okay. in the last century. And the confessor said she talks about these three days of darkness, oh. but there's no written 
um, uh, confirmation of that. And then people say Padre Pio did, but the Capuchin said no. No, he never said anything about it. Back in a minute. So welcome back to the program. This is Tom Crown with Father Lewis, and now we're in the days of darkness here. <laughs> let's, let's get back into the light. So just, I actually heard Jimmy, do you know Jimmy Aiken? I know, yeah, I know. He's like him. the lead Catholic apologist, right? Yeah. Oh, of course you know him. So he has a podcast called um, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. Oh, yeah. Okay, so he just did a program on the Three Days of Darkness. Okay. He was being interviewed on another program, but he kind of grabbed it and put it onto his, onto his um Mysterious world. I thought that was very well done. Okay. That's worth a listen. Okay. okay. So I I did listen to that that in my my fasting of my <laughs> yeah. I did allow that to come on. So um okay. All right. So uh, let's get let's come back around to uh another quote or another uh either or here. Okay. So <clears throat> Catherine of Siena, St. Catherine of Siena, one of her most famous quotes is become oh no, yeah, become who you were meant to be. And you'll set the world on fire. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me give you another way. I'm going to reverse it. Okay. And then you tell me which one you like better. So there's the become who you were meant to be, and you'll set the world on fire. How about become fire, and the world will become what it is meant to be. Mm. Become fire, and the world will become what it is meant to be. Okay. All right, reflect. Give me a riff on both of those. <laughs> so. Well, it sounds like um, kind of a, an upward spiral of, uh, of constant, um, well, um, re- um, uh, redemption, I suppose. If, if I will submit myself to the will of God and, and therefore fruit of that become who, I want, who, I, who I'm meant to be, then, then I'm going and, you know, like Jesus said, how I wish to set the world on fire, how I wish it were already ablaze. So the sufferings of Christ, you know, are, are you know, like we quoted in Colossians, you know, we, we can make up for that by by ourselves becoming who we ought to be and then setting the world on fire. And then, but then the, the, the backward turn, now we're setting the, um, how, how do you put it? The become the, fire become, and the when, world yeah. will become what it is meant yeah, to if be. If we're in the world still, then maybe there's a reciprocal thing. So the world is set on fire and that charges us to, to keep the train rolling. So I, okay, look at that great, when I, when I step out in faith, uh, in the, as the person God meant to be just a little step and look what it did that, inspires me to want to take the next step which sets the world on fire more and then and then there's a reciprocal kind of upward spiral of give and take um, i like that yeah well That's well a- done father lewis that was good <laughs> i uh I, I was thinking of it from the standpoint of the idea that the holy spirit is fire mm-hmm. right pentecost is the fire right if you become fire if you let the holy spirit set you on fire right mm-hmm. wasn't there an early father of the church why not become fire mm-hmm. right that was one of his his ways of talking about um you know, growing in union with the Lord. And if you grow in union with the Holy Spirit such that you're literally on fire for God, well, then guess what will happen to the world around you? It's going to come into that experience of redemption. It'll be what it's meant to be. So, all right. Uh, So next. All right. Uh, Well, gosh, we already talked about this one a little bit, but as the abbot, so the monastery. As the abbot, so the monastery. You've heard that before. Yeah. Okay. How do you think that applies today? Um, well, I think, you know, it can switch a couple of those words as the bishop, so the diocese, as the pastor, so the parish, um, the, as the parents, so the house, as the parents, so the household, so the children, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as the, as the principal, so the school, um, there's quite a bit of, uh, weight of responsibility put upon the head 
And if, um, if the head is living up to that calling, then, then the body will follow. Um, there's this kind of other phrase I heard, if a priest strives for, for sainthood, his parishioners will be holy. If the priest strives for holiness, his parishioners will be good, and so on down. And it ends with, if the, if the pastor, if the priest strives for purgatory, what hope is there for the people kind of a thing. So it whittles it on down. So the point is that... Ouch! Yeah, yeah. So you got to start at I the like high that. Ball. Yeah. Where'd you get that? I can't remember who's... I don't know if it was even someone who said that, but I'd seen it on some kind of like, you know, framed mural or something that someone showed me one time, but... But um, yeah, so if the abbot is striving to be, you know, Abbot Bernard, St. Bernard Clairvaux, then, you know, the, the, the monastery will, will follow in holiness and hopefully... The family hopefully, will overtake the world. Right, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, overtook God? Was it, was it the family who, who overtook... It was about the family, Bernard of Clairvaux's family. Oh, yeah. That famous book. Right. Well, and so, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he he's the most famous saint, but I think he's even got Kenai saints amongst one of his brothers and one of his sisters, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, similar with like Gregory of Nyssa and, and Basil the Great, their sister Macrina. And, well, now we got St. Therese of Zou and her parents. Benedict, right, yeah. and mm-hmm. his sister. And sister Scholastica, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, so as the abbot, so the monastery, and... Um, and if the abbot is living a life of dissipation and sin, then of course the monastery will as well in all likelihood because there's no model of holiness to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? I mean, you're I, a pastor. Yeah, I do. I, I, I do think of that. Um, you know, well, I mean, I, I, I used to think about it much more. Now it's just more ingrained. For example, I, it, it was like pulling my own teeth out to just make me make a holy hour even in the midst of a busy day. Now it's just part of the schedule. And every now and again, I, I hear a, a, a remark of, you know, there goes Father Lewis. He's on his way to pray a holy hour, and someone will be in the office and remark on that or something like that. And I didn't even think about it. So it's not like I'm trying to show off with my piety, but it's just part of my, it's part of, who, you know, what I do now, the air that I breathe. And so if I'm, I'm cognizant of, if I'm going to exhort the folks in greater holiness through the words that I preach, um, I'm I'm very much aware that I I better be living that myself because God forbid that they you know someone should should catch a stray glance of me you know gambling at the casino or who knows what and be like oh nice and then poof, everything's deflated and then the word gets around well Father said this but here's why I saw him doing it. and now now there's no credibility mm-hmm. so you know it's a very I'm a very public figure as a pastor of a parish and I. I need to be. I need to take that seriously and, and live responsibly accordingly. I like that. I think, though, in in a certain sense, I mean, you live it by your office, right? By your vocation. Yeah. It's also true for parents in a home. Mm-hmm. Kids see. Right? I I was given a talk on parenting the digital generation, and I asked a painful question. Parents, would you want your kids? to imitate your use of the phone. Mm-hmm. And there was crickets. <laughs> there were, were not many people who were like, oh, absolutely, I wish they did. Yeah. Just even, just a, a little glimpse of what I do on the phone, right? Mm-hmm. No. 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 I, I started the program say, hi, my name's Tom Kern, and I'm a smartphone addict. <laughs> right? yeah. And everyone else that asked a question, they kind of joked about it, and mm-hmm. they, would, they would say their name, and they're also a smartphone addict. Yeah. Because of just the the painful truth that that it is. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, as the abbot, so the monastery. So I've got my kiddos now, right? My I've got two boys mm-hmm. at Franciscan University. Yep. Ship them out. The two, <laughs> ship them out, man. You've got to you've got to make it out there, right? 
And it's so interesting because I think I told you John Luke, mm-hmm. how he, he walks to class. I didn't he, tell you this last week. Uh, yeah, he, um, he's been going to... Stop by the chapel. Yeah, Makes a visit chapel. and yeah. prays a rosary before class. I'm like, you Ooh. didn't do that in the house. <laughs> yeah. But it was like all for all these years, he saw me doing it. Uh-huh. And for the last couple of years, he's watched his brother do it. And now he's surrounded by guys. I, we're talking to he, John Mark called late last night, and uh, there was a guy who's like, hey, I love your sons. Your sons are great. And he's like, well, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm about to pray rosary. And it was a buddy of theirs. I'm like, I love Franciscan University. <laughs> right? How cool is that? Yeah. Right? That was just so cool. Um, but uh, there is definitely a sense of they're now out in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be faced with temptations and challenges that they wouldn't face when they were in my house. And so parents, to realize the, gosh, the the importance, the fundamental importance of creating good foundations, because my kids are facing temptations at an earlier stage than they would have. Mm -hmm. And to be able to have open, honest conversations with them about, you know, what are you going to choose to do versus not do? You've got this space out there to do it, but is this really how you you want to live? Yeah. So uh, it's it, it it is a challenge. Yeah. It is a journey. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, all right. So, Father, um, I want to uh, ask you a question. Another question. I think we have time for one more question. All right. That's all we have. That's all, right? all we got. Okay. So this one is: um, before we evangelize by word or deed, we evangelize by who we are. That's St. John Paul II in Redemptoris Missio. Before we evangelize by word or deed, we evangelize by who we are. What does yeah. that mean? Um, well, what came to my mind is being precedes doing. Um, what we do, the actions and behaviors and the inactions for that matter, that that follows who we are. It doesn't define who we are. That was so John Paul II. Action <laughs> follows being. Good yeah, job. Yeah. Good job, Father. <laughs> well, it's uh, you know, it's very Aristotelian as well. He says, you know, being and then doing. To 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 be is to do. Um, in any event, um, and if 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 we have that reversed, then we're we're allowing ourselves to define, to have our our being, our personality our identity defined by the actions. And sadly, this is, seems to be the way of it with a lot of folks. You know, who are you? Well, I'm I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. You know, they're describing their, their work. Um, no, 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 that's not what I asked. I asked, who are you? And um, and then we can talk about what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the being's got to be in place first. Um, and I think that's what that gets to. You know, we got to evangelize through who we are, then through what we do. Well, and John Paul II is so good that, you know, if who we are is defined by our relationship with Christ and that union with Christ, it's going to radiate. And so just letting that light shine, the radiance of Christ shine, it's going to have an impact around us. Well, Father Lewis, you made it. All right. Well, and survived another program. (laughs) This is awesome. Thanks for being with me today. God bless you all. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.